Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're in chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 23. I've entitled this section, A New Hope. Now, Star Wars fans will immediately get the illusion here, as this is the title of episode 4 in that great saga of Star Wars. Uh, In that uh, particular film, uh, the Empire, we learn, has a cruel and terrible grasp over all of the galaxy. Now, something sort of similar is happening in the background of the gospel that we're studying. The gospel of Matthew, the events that uh, Matthew describes, are taking place under Roman rule. Uh, We learned last time a little bit about Herod's taxes and how he cruelly oppressed the people with the taxes, ironically, in order to curry their favor and by by building the uh, temple. The Roman Empire was... A violent time, even though they insisted on Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, still, if you kicked against that, it came down on you like a hammer. In fact, around this time, Josephus describes a revolt after the death of Herod, in which Varus, the Roman governor of Syria, crucified 2,000 Jewish people uh, for their uprising. Or a little bit earlier in Jewish history, you can read about crucifixion after crucifixion of women being crucified uh, with their children and uh, being forced to watch their husbands being slaughtered. It's a terrible time in Israel's history. So certainly that background is significant in how we understand uh, the story that Matthew is seeking to tell. Just like you can't really understand Star Wars Episode Four. let's say if you walk in half an hour late and you don't know anything about the Empire, or you didn't see that uh, famous beginning where the words scroll by, if you don't catch the setting, you're not really going to get the thrust of the movie. You don't get why this is significant. Now, let's back up just a little bit. Uh, just because we know something about the historical background of when something was written doesn't necessarily mean that that is the background that's important for understanding that story. For example, just because something was written in, say, the 1870s, that doesn't mean that you have to know about the Civil War to appreciate what was happening then. There's actually a whole variety a whole spectrum of how significant the Civil War may be for a piece of writing in the 1870s. Similarly, uh, the oppression of Rome and the terror of Roman rule uh, may be highly significant for something like Matthew, or it may not be very significant. After all, this same uh, tyrannical background is there behind all of the books of the New Testament. With some, it's more front and center, and with some, it's more just simply in the background. Now, what's particularly interesting when we come to the Gospel of Matthew is the way that he decides to set the stage. For those used to literary theory or uh, narrative criticism, this is the exposition. It's the beginning before Freytag's Pyramid in which he uh, sets the scene and he lets you know this is the bit of background which is really significant. 
Now, what's fascinating, to me at least, is that he doesn't tell a story like what Josephus might tell of the Roman hammer coming down and smashing the Jewish people. Instead, the main antagonist is Herod the Great. It comes from within. The Gospel of Matthew is a thoroughly Jewish gospel. It is written, uh, to the best of our knowledge, by a Jewish person for Jewish people. And yet, even though it is a Jewish gospel, a Jewish story, Matthew's not afraid to make Jewish people be the bad guys. Although we should also note that Jewish people are the good guys as well. And when we're thinking about a biblical perspective, this doesn't mean that it's an un-Jewish thing to do. All sorts of book all sorts of books in the Old Testament have Jewish people as bad guys and also Jewish people as good guys. All that to say, we're about to read an incredibly tragic story, and this is Matthew's way of setting the stage for the significance of the coming of a Redeemer and a Savior. So let's begin reading Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and we'll go all the way through verse 23. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, this story is just about as tragic as it gets. It's one of the saddest stories in Scripture. We don't have any independent attestation to this, uh, what's been called the slaughter of the innocents, but it does match the description of Herod, which we gave a couple sessions ago. Remember how we talked about how he's the kind of guy who would kill his own wife and his children because he was paranoid about an uprising. This does match the cruel description that we do have of Herod in extra-biblical material, that is to say, material outside the pages of the Bible. This story will tell us how Matthew wants us to think of the setting for all of the events which are about to unfold. If you're familiar with reading through the story of the Bible, and I talk to you about Egypt, I'm sure one story will stand out uh, heads above the rest. 
That is the escape of the people of Israel from slavery uh, in Egypt through the Red Sea and to the Promised Land. In other words, Egypt is known as a place of oppression and a place of danger, a place that Israel wasn't supposed to go back to, that God had saved them out of that place. And Israel now geographically is living in, quote-unquote, the promised land. And yet, the place where the holy family must flee to, the safe zone, ends up being the arch-rivals of the people of Israel. Now, this is all Matthew's way of saying, you know that things are really bad in Israel when Egypt is the safe place and the place where your life is threatened is in Bethlehem. Now, the dark times that uh, the Lord Jesus and Israel was going through is also highlighted by this quotation from the book of Jeremiah uh, in verse 18. This is talking about the Babylonian exile, when, which is one of the most horrendous events in all of Scripture, when the city of Jerusalem was razed to the ground and the temple was destroyed and people were separated from their homeland. One of the lowest points in all of human history when evil King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. That gets like a secondary fulfillment in what's happening. And ironically, that means that King Herod is like a new King Nebuchadnezzar, and the people, again, are going through a time of terrible exile. And yet, if we're interested in following through with Matthew's pointers back to the Old Testament, there's something ironic and interesting going on here. In fact, if we're attentive to the scriptural echoes, uh, to borrow the phrase from the great New Testament scholar Richard Hayes, if we're attentive to these echoes and go back to Jeremiah 31, we'll find rays of hope. So let's go back and read this prophecy, which is supposed to be fulfilled in the slaughter of the innocents. Jeremiah chapter 31 is in the context of the new covenant. It's really, from a certain perspective, one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. It's something that the Gospel of Matthew will continue to interact with about how the Lord Jesus has come to establish the new covenant by giving his body and by giving his blood. Let's read a little bit from Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of the one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. 
we can stop reading right there. This, of course, is just a, such a beautiful passage of Scripture describing what God will do in what's called the Book of Consolation in this time when Jeremiah stops from his sorrow to rejoice in what he knows God will do. Don't sorrow anymore because you know that the time of suffering is about to end. And so we have here really a very tragic time. I could hardly begin to enter into the tragedy of what was going on in Israel at this time. And yet by quoting from Jeremiah 31, uh, it's like Matthew is hinting at us. He's winking at us and saying, but this isn't the end of the story. There is a new hope rising. Matthew also has another fulfillment of scripture passage in uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Now, if we were to go there and and read from that passage of Scripture, it's not quite clear that this is about the Messiah. In fact, as you keep reading, the person that's coming up out of Egypt is all sorts of terrible and sinful things. This is, uh, in context, talking about the historical people of Israel. As terrible as Israel was in the past, this has a greater fulfillment. Someone greater than Israel, uh, an Israel 2.0, if we could use that expression. Uh, The Lord Jesus is like a new Israel, recapitulating or repeating Israel's history. So that way, he can do it right where Israel did it wrong. Now, this doesn't mean that Israel is set aside in God's purposes or isn't the object of God's love. Just because Matthew talks about Israel's corruption doesn't mean they're different than anybody else who has corrupt leaders. After all, his name is Jesus because he will save his people, Israel, from their sins. This new hope is in the perfect Israel, the Lord Jesus himself. He is no stranger to sorrow. The very early days of his life so well illustrate this in what's been called the slaughter of the innocents. Now, I just find it so fascinating that this is a part of the scriptural Christmas story. Uh, Sometimes we decorate our house for Christmas, and maybe at your house you have something like a nativity set. Um, This is so different than like a precious moments nativity scene right here, with all of these baby boys being slaughtered. You know, one of the great Christian virtues is hope. But being a person of hope doesn't mean we shut out our eyes to all of the evil and suffering that's in the world. The Lord Jesus was born in the midst of evil and incredible suffering. But it's only when we stop and realize how bad things actually are that the hope that the Lord Jesus came to bring really shines at its brightest. I don't know whatever it is you're going through, how dark or dismal it may be, but whatever it is, know that there is a new hope found in the Lord Jesus himself. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.